Hey, good evening, everyone. John Henry Soto here, along with George Batista. Welcome to Counterparts. Very excited today. If you are a, a fan of acting, if you're a fan of, of writing, if you're a fan of The X-Files, this is the show to be watching. We have William B. Davis is on the show, and we're very excited to have him on here. So uh, just hang out, get yourself some nice tea, sit back, and get ready for an awesome conversation. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this evening. We are very excited. Um, as you know, I sometimes tend to talk a little bit too much at the beginning of these things. George always yells at me, so I'm going to like chill out. We also have a sponsor that we want to uh, introduce as well today, uh, a new sponsor. So, George, I'm going to turn it to you and do your thing. Thank you, sir. So first of all, uh, I want to welcome our new sponsor. The Counterpart Show is brought to you by Wellness Resources, a family-owned and operated nutritional uh, supplement company providing the highest quality cl clinically formulated supplements since 1985. So find out why Wellness Resources supplements are the top choice of health-conscious individuals around the world. Go to myvitaminresource.com. All right. Uh, so I'm going to introduce our amazing guest today. Today we have Mr. William B. Davis. Uh, William is a Canadian actor and director who has worked in stage and radio, but is probably best known for his role as the cigarette smoking man on the hit sci-fi show, The X-Files. Besides appearing in many TV programs and movies, he founded his own acting school, the William Davis Center for Actors. While continuing to act, he has recently returned to directing and has published two books, Where There's Smoke, Musings of, the, of a Cigarette Smoking Man in 2011, and On Acting and Life in 2022. He can currently be seen on the science fiction comedy television series Upload, and we are very, very excited to have him on this program. So without further ado, let's bring up Mr. William B. Davis. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir, for being on. This is awesome. This is awesome. Um, so as George, uh, right before we started, um, George is a big fan. I'm a big fan, and we're just really uh, um, honored and so happy to have you on the show. So thank you so much. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. And as I said before, George is sort of like the, uh, you know, I'll say the, the professional when it comes to the questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we like to jump in, right, and, and start with the question. Then we have a, I think we have a comment here. We'll read that. We'll read any comments that we get. Somebody just says, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up, Dick? All right, what's Thank up? You very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we're going to get started with some questions. So, George, you want to us our your first question yes absolutely again thank you so much for being on and again i've you know i've been a fan of yours in the series as well and you know very much you know love your acting your acting style and stuff so what i like to do um with my questions i like to kind of start you know i like to kind of go back and hear the backstory um i know you know you were acting very very young <laughs> and uh, so i'd like to know you know what what drew you to the profession first of all and did you was your because i know your parents were weren't actors right um were they were your parents supportive of you being in acting 
Um, yes, uh, they were they were great actually because they 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 never pushed it. They never um, ne never. I had some terrible experiences as a child with the mothers of other oh, young actors. Oh, really? Okay. I never. <laughs> my parents were always just fine in one way or the other. What what uh, brought it all together really was uh, my cousins. They were second cousins and a half a generation older than I. They they well eventually they ran a, a major theater company in in Toronto, but at the time when I was a boy, they were running a summer theater company in Ontario, mm -hmm. and uh, they imposed on my family to provide rehearsal space in Toronto before <laughs> they went north. So they were rehearsing their seasons in the basement of our house. Oh wow! And they also imposed on my father to provide legal advice to their summer company. So they. So they, there was quite a connection there. Yeah. yeah. So, so this was all kind of going on, and and lively things would happen in our basement, and we would have to explain to the neighbors that no, there wasn't a fight going on. play. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, in their second season, they were doing a, uh, uh, a murder mystery that needed a young boy, and so who was handy at the right age? Yeah. Me. <laughs> so, imposing. so there we go. <laughs> I would say, I, I, I'd like to say there was a nationwide search to find the right actor, but they actually <laughs> found uh, very close by. <laughs> but that's what got me started. Oh, that's cool. awesome. That's convenient. <laughs> Don't, well, you know, those sounds, the sounds of the theater and the sounds of people rehearsing is always such a fascinating thing to hear, you know, especially when you're not really aware of what's happening, but you kind of feel like something energy is happening especially when the writing is really good do you remember feeling that like seeing well in, in in those days too uh, they were still people were still kind of acting full out right from the time they got the script i mean now we do a more slow kind of developed growth stage but they're kind of really jumping right in yeah okay <laughs> so so yeah there'd be screams and shrieks and um uh, <laughs> But yeah, definitely an atmosphere and, and actors in and out of the house all the time. Of course, they were always phoning their agents, hoping they had a call, or, you know, and because uh, they were trying to find other work at the same time. And, yeah. you know, so so one kind of grew up in that with that atmosphere, yeah. not to, in any kind of sense of being starstruck, just that was a normal way that people yeah. did, you know, so. Did, did you um, know that you wanted to do that? at that point not right well not right away um uh once i once i had done the role the first role after that they gave me another role every summer okay next okay. few years and and then i found an acting teacher and then the acting teacher arranged for me to get an audition on cbc radio this being before television or mm -hmm. film mm -hmm. in toronto and radio was really where actors worked right um and uh, landed a part on a series, and uh, wow! Uh, for the first two or three years before my voice broke and they didn't care about me anymore, <laughs> I was doing a lot of uh, child acting on radio. And uh, wow, that's that's amazing. And during um, I mean, during that era, there was I guess Bob Hope had a really popular uh, radio show. There was um, I think Abbott and Costello had. Oh, oh yeah. they were all were you listening to all these radio? I listen to radio all the time and I listen yeah. I listen to a lot of radio drama. I even kept a kind of catalog of 
the the shows that I saw, which ones I liked, and which actors I liked, and mm. um, and then I had had to schedule my homework kind of around the broadcast times. And you know, in those days, they broadcast at a certain time. You couldn't just stream right. it. Wanted it. I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> right at that moment. Yeah. Uh, so you had to organize your life around the uh, around the broadcast time. You know that that must be interesting because I, I'm thinking that if you're on the radio and you're doing these, you know the these things on the radio, it kind of tra- I guess it kind of trains you differently because you have to, you know, nobody's watching you; they're just hearing your voice, right? So you have to you have to project all this, but just through your voice versus people actually seeing your expressions and things like that, right? Yes, exactly. Um, it's it's funny. I don't know if we thought about it. Well, I'm, no, I lie. Um, yeah, some of some of the really experienced radio actors were very, very conscious of of how their voice was sounding, and, right. and they had a complicated way of of uh, delineating their expressions and so on in their script and so on. So, mm-hmm. so yes, you had to be. You, it really attuned your ear, mm-hmm. and I think you know. I often say I have a real ear for acting, and for when actors are true or not true, and maybe it started from doing that much radio at the, right. at the beginning. That, that that's that's what, and, and also listening to it as well as doing it. You know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I would think that also with the voice, you have to not only you have to create that image for the audience right. with your, you know, with your actual inflections and and. You know, you have to really, they're not seeing an image. It, you have to create that image for them. Yeah, it's not It's not so complicated. I mean, if it's well written, um, if it's well written, you put, you do what actors always do. You put yourself in the imagined situation and you live truthfully in that situation. Um, but it does, the, the quality of your voice does make a difference. And, 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 uh, I, I, I love the man, but David Duchovny has a rather flat voice. I'm mm. not sure he's that great on radio. I remember mm. listening right, right. to one of his, uh, um, uh, the, the, the French actor who dubbed him, for instance, had a much more um, mm. uh, electric uh, voice. And yeah, it was kind right. of, see that in in david's face (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, but yes you had to you had to have a certain kind of a a voice i think because yeah i mean if you're kind of just too kind of flat all the time mind you there was who was the actor who played dragnet uh uh, oh oh yeah yeah. um just uh, the fact man i remember his name now but yeah. yeah, that that that's true. Yeah. He uh he had that that type of tone. But you know, it's it's funny because yeah. you said the writing and really the the writing it's it's so important just the right to have good writing no matter what the medium is. Exactly. Like exactly. Have have good writing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Was um was so did you do anything other than acting or did you have any other jobs or anything like that or was it just acting? Um, well, I, I had a paper route for six okay. weeks. My brother had a big, long paper route, and he made a lot of money on it. Uh, I was delighted that my paper route, I had to give up my paper route because I got a radio show oh, okay. that, shot, that, that recorded in the morning, and I couldn't do the paper. Uh, so I had to give that up. Um, so I had a paper route for a while. Um, then I did uh, uh, maybe three weeks in the kitchens at a racetrack. That didn't last very long. 
<laughs> and once when I was in England, I sold advertising space and when I was out of work. But uh, pretty much I've always worked in some form of the profession. Wow. wow. And it was uh, Jack Webb. Just that's right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yes yes make sure the audience doesn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm fascinated to hear about the transition from the, the radio to television because that was such a big big thing just in the world in general just when that first thing happened it's almost like what the internet was when it came out in the in the you know late 90s um may, i don't think it was that extreme because i think television hit like day one and it was then day two it was there and it was just a, a really really big part of uh of the, of the world um how was that for you because i know a lot of actors that were on radio had trouble it was it was actually fascinating because when i was i mean i was a, i was a boy when i was doing radio acting so it wasn't really going to affect me right directly mm -hmm. um but I watched the older actors and, you know, we had the, the CBC radio building uh, on Jarvis Street in Toronto and there was a fire escape out the back. And if you went up that fire escape, you could see this yellow building being built across the, uh, just across the way. And that was a television building. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, the radio actors would look at that and they, they would wonder, you know, whether this was a breakthrough of hope for them or this was the end of the road. Interesting. Right. And it was a bit of both. Some of, it was the end of the road. And for some, they blossomed and, and, and became successful actors on screen. I mean, Robert Goulet, for instance. Uh, mm. Wow. Uh, other, um, oh, I, um, other names will come to me of people who really came through that and worked yeah. out well. But. Yeah, and it must have been also kind of the same thing when it went from the talkies from you know, from the uh, I mean, in, talkies, in film way back, yeah. talkies, you know that exactly. a lot of actors. I think this the the film uh, Singing in the Rain kind of covers that in a very comical way of yeah. how some of these uh, actors that looked great on screen when they weren't talking, but then when they were talking, they were like, "Hello, hello, <laughs> yeah, the guys," you know, yeah, yeah. Right. and it kind of uh, ended careers for a lot of people. Well, and I, I, the reverse probably happened from radio to television. They sounded right. beautiful until you saw their face. So. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so you have the, the face for radio kind of. <laughs> now, I know that you also, um, through your journey, you uh, worked un under Olivier, right? Uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier? Yes. And how was that? And what did you learn from him? Well, I, I have to I have to caution that slightly. I worked in his company. Oh, okay. It was his company. Um, okay. I did not work directly with with okay. Lawrence. Okay. Um, the company, the National Theatre Company at the time in, of, of UK, mm. uh, was divided into two parts. There had two sections: a company A and a company B. They were equally important. Sure. They had two theatres, and they would rotate back and forth. Uh, so Olivier was always <laughs> gentleman that he was in company B. Oh, okay. And I was always in company A. Right, so right. I worked with some great people, uh, Maggie, Maggie Smith, uh, Lawrence, uh, uh, Albert Finney. Uh, oh, Albert Finney. Wow, yeah, he's one great. of my favorites. Uh, but uh, I did not work directly right. with, uh, okay. with Sir yeah. Lawrence. Uh, I mean, I was there for company meetings when he gave talks and things like yeah. that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> was he, um, 
how was he as as a man you know because you as a manager sort of he was that? actually a pretty good manager he was he was uh he's just you know he, he has such a big presence on stage or film but in in real life he's a smallish man or was yeah. a small man um and and not very prepossessing uh, as, as his wife said he could take the subway uh to work and nobody recognized him oh, wow <laughs> <That's amazing>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so but he was very very fair very very organized um very ambitious i think but mm -hmm. that part i didn't see so much of i've read about it since but at the mm -hmm. time i didn't see that it seemed like a well-run enterprise yeah yeah so um i want to talk about the um coming to america not not the film coming to America with Eddie Murphy, but the just you. Do you remember when you actually um, first came to America? Was it for a job? For America, as opposed to Canada, you mean? Yeah, correct. Because uh -huh. sometimes we were talking about the United Kingdom. So mm -hmm. right, right, right. Um, so yeah, the first time I was in the U. Well, uh, I've often been in the U.S. to ski, but that's another matter. Um, uh, the first time I worked. I directed a I directed a production of The Winter's Tale in Vermont, the Vermont Spear okay. Festival, uh, and I'm trying to think what other kind of theater things I might have done. Uh, so, I guess that the the biggest jump was, of course, when X Files moved from Vancouver to Los Angeles. Okay, mm. and then I was back in then I was in the big. No, I guess it's not the Big Apple. New York's the Big Apple, but I was. What do you call Los Angeles? It's the. These days, there's a lot of names, but. We, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I mean, I was never. I mean, I used to go to New York frequently to see theater. Yeah. Uh, when I was at university, I would go mm -hmm. regularly, um, and saw some great work. Uh, yeah. Paul Newman on in on. In Tennessee Williams and oh nice, oh, wow. nice Geraldine Page and and uh, the first uh, West Side Stories. I mean, I saw first really? saw the first season. I went back to see it the second season, and I was so hooked. And in London, I went to see it the next year in London. Then I went to see it the next year in London, and then I went to see the movie. So five years in a row, I didn't wow. have to West Side Story. <laughs> so you know every every note. <laughs> Um, and I love the recent movie, actually. The recent movie was, I oh, saw. yeah, 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 very yeah. well done, very well done. Good, good. I mean, now you know, it's, it's interesting because you know, John and I talk about this a lot as musicians, right? We're you know, playing live in a, in a show versus like being in a studio, you know, for actors, maybe being on, on a stage versus being you know, in a television studio mm -hmm. or a movie studio. So, um is is theater like your number one? Is that is that your your favorite, or or do you you'd like them equally, or, or what? That, it's hard to say, and it depends whether we're talking about acting or directing too. Either one. Uh, I mean, I love directing for the theater because okay, we didn't kind of skipped over that a little bit, starting as a boy actor, but then eventually I went to the University of Toronto, thinking I was going to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And ended up finding I was directing, and I was directing more and more and more, and became oh, wow. more and more involved as a theater director. Mm. And I actually went to England to study acting to help me as a theater director. That was really oh, my okay. okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And then I worked in in Britain for several years as a theater director, and 
Um, so, so I, you know, I've worked in both media. So, so if it's a question of directing, I think I prefer directing in the theater to directing in film. Although I've done both, um, most mostly because of of the involvement. Mm -hmm. You know, when you direct, when well, you work in film at all, as you know, uh, you wait a lot. Uh, the other right. side, <laughs> yeah. while you wait. Um, in the theater, when you're certainly when you're directing, you know they come in and start rehearsal, and you work all day until the rehearsal's over. Right. Uh, there's there's no waiting. There's no. There, you might get a copy break, but that's right. <laughs> you know, wait for stage management have set up the rehearsal before you got there, and then you just go. Um, I mean, it's different when you get into the tech rehearsal and stuff, but that's a kind of transitional stage, and. Then the show opens, and then you're useless after that. Right. So, so there's that problem too. And you in the back. So, so there's the other side of it, which is, of course, that the director in film and television uh, can work on the material after you've shot it, and you can do all sorts right. of things with it. And that terrible scene that that actor never got right, you can well, you just kind of eliminate it from the whole show if you have to, or you can find some way around it. Um, I mean, the transition was the, of that was the most obvious for me in radio because mm -hmm. I had worked as as a radio actor, as as we've been talking about, when it was live, when everything you did went straight into the living room of the right. listeners. There was nothing recorded. Even the sound effects were done live. Everything was done live. Uh, 20, 30 years later, I went back. I was hired to direct radio drama. I went as a, a producer, director at the CBC for radio drama for two or three years, and it was completely different. Mm. None of it was live. We were making it the way you make a movie. We were, we would record the sound, and we would do different takes, and we'd do that, and, but then we'd edit the sound together, and then we'd add in, or edit the voice track together, and then we'd edit, end in the sound effects, and then we'd record the music, and then we'd do a mix, you know, just as if we were making a movie, but it was completely different from what we did as a... Uh, wow. Did did you have um when you're when you're editing for film, um do you uh, not editing for film when you're directing for film do you think as an editor also understanding yes. how things go together? Yes, you I have find to. That that's really important as a director. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a good, a good editor will add to that that you might not sure. have thought of or seen, but but yes, you have to have. Yeah. Um, I never used a storyboard very much, a little bit with a storyboard, but but yeah. always you have to have an idea of how it's going to cut together, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think also when you're directing for, um, you know, any any film or anything, you know, the, the magic of it is that you can do that editing later on and then you can go back and kind of tweak it and mess, you know, mess around with it and try to make it go to what, whatever the vision is, whereas you know, the theater, it has to be your direction right at the beginning. It's got to be on spot on because that's what's, what it's going to be. The blocking is going to be what it is and nobody's going to go change anything unless they, they mess up or something. But <laughs> I mean, it will evolve through the, through the rehearsal process, but, right. but yeah, yeah you, when, once you're up there, you're up there. You can, you yeah. can't, you can't fix it up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm sorry, Joy. I'll let you no, ask go ahead. a question. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. <laughs> but I'm. I'm fascinated by theater directing because there's got to come a point where you say, "That's it. 
that's the piece and maybe a little tweaks here and there, but we've worked through everything. We've got the blocking down. We've got, you know, the, all the, the angles covered, the story flows, and I'm, I'm giving this, like, we're ready, we're ready to go. Do you get to that point or is it always opening Somebody night? You're like, mm. about, a, about a work of art, um, <laughs> but it's never finished. It's just a point where right. you actually have to let it go. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, same thing with film. But, <laughs> but, but there is that, there is, what for me was the last kind of stage was uh, in, as, as the show developed before you went finally into, into tech things. Uh, so it was there, but it was a little loose and i would always think now i go with my screwdriver i get my screwdriver and i start tightening tighten here tighten yeah. here tight tighten here close the gaps um, and and then the, it would come alive because yeah. because it, would, it was sinking in the gaps and then you, yeah. uh, but yes once once it once it's up and there that's it that's, that's it. it yeah yeah i mean even yeah. I, I saw an interview with scorsese where he says that you know he looks at goodfellas today and he still says I should have done this, or I should have done that, or I'm like, <laughs> let it go. I haven't my book yet, but I've been rewriting my book ever since I published it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So we're going to get to one question from Jordan, and I want to go. I actually want to talk about your book because that's gonna that's that's really interesting. Yeah. No, I just wanted to know. Um, so, when uh, how did the uh, actual X Files come about? For me. Yeah, for you. Or in, for you. Or in, yeah, how, how did they approach? How did they approach? <laughs> sorry, how did they approach you with the series? Uh, they didn't. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will explain. <laughs> um, I was a a working actor in in Vancouver. Well, I was mostly a working acting teacher because I had my school. And, that was, that was really where my main focus was at that time. Um, but I would go in for auditions for stuff from time to time. And so they called me in for this uh, uh, show about alien abduction, which I thought, well, that's not going to go very far. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they had me read for the senior FBI agent in the audition. He has three lines. And I don't know how well you might remember the pilot, but in the pilot, Scully's being interviewed by the head of the FBI. Right. And he's got two guys sitting beside him at this table. And one of them is this senior FBI agent who actually has three lines. The cigarette smoking man who became, was leaning against a cabinet in the background and, and had no lines. So I got the part with no lines. Uh, <laughs> my friend Camera, Ken Camera got the part with the lines. Mm. Wow. We've talked about that a lot over the years. I've laughed longer than he has. Right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> because who knew? Who knew where that right. was going? Um, exactly. Um, and who knew if they were? I mean, obviously, when you audition someone, you have to um, you have to attach them to something. They have to do something. So they maybe had me in mind for that non-speaking role right from the beginning. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but they just needed to see me do something. Um, or it may be that I failed. <laughs> right, right. Best. I don't think so, though. I don't think so. Um, but anyway, um, I knew nothing more about it than that. Uh, mm -hmm. When we were shooting it, I was uh, directing a show with my school. I was 
uh, didn't think too much about this. Uh, and uh, of course, I had no idea that this would become a popular show. I mean, that, I mean, really, right. really alien. <laughs> <laughs> and you thought it was just a one and done thing, right? You thought I thought you were it was gonna... one and done. Uh, uh, I think I knew it was a pilot, but I didn't think the pilot would get picked up. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, the pilot got picked up. My character did not appear to get picked up. Uh, they shot for months and weeks. It wasn't until late in the first season that I came back to do a very small little bit. And then it wasn't until towards the end of the first season that I actually had a line or two and, and uh, had, a, had some presence. But it was in season two when Morgan and Wong wrote a wrote an episode called One Breath with a really dynamic scene between the smoking man and Mulder. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that was the turning point, really. At the time, uh, Bob Goodwin talks about this all the time because he's a producer, was a producer on the show, and he actually directed that episode. And he had no idea whether I could act or not. He said, oh, my God, look at this scene. But can Bill Davis act? <laughs> uh, um, of course, I had a resume and I had a demo reel, but he hadn't looked at that. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, he's become a good friend and we've talked about it since. But he was so relieved once we started because he, he was delighted with what happened and they were delighted. And then so the character got more and more interesting. And then the fans got interested in the right. character. Right. Back right. exactly. in the early days of the internet, you know, they would meet Friday night and they would talk to each other and they would imagine things and whatever. And so the character became interesting as well as the whole series became interesting. None of this might have happened nowadays because if you don't have a hit right off the bat, you mm -hmm. don't last very long. Exactly. Right. Right. This had an opportunity to grow, grow with its audience. And the, the young internet helped that. And it's funny because I, I was I in my mind I, I I love the concept of the mysterious character, and I didn't want them to kind of give you any more of a backstory or or you know because yeah. I was like no yeah. because then you take the mystery out of yeah, this character yeah. and I like that so I was hoping they wouldn't like you know show yeah. your childhood and this whole thing <laughs> yeah yeah love interest or something <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then they sort of did but then they didn't with this right exactly musings of a, of a smoking man because that really wasn't the backstory at all right like, right <laughs> I, don't think, I mean people think it was but we didn't right <laughs> no, exactly so we're gonna uh i feel like we're going we're shooting out of sequence as they say um <laughs> But I, <laughs> I kind of want to talk. Um, I want to talk about your school. I want to talk about what was the, um, you know, how you started. Obviously, I want to talk about your book on acting and life, which you can uh, anybody can, you know, can get this uh, on your website as well, right? And it's so, yeah. um, so. Um, so, what was that like? What was you know putting this together with that? I know you said you're still rewriting. And you're <laughs> How, how does that how does that go i've um i've been meaning to do a book on acting for years and years and years and i've had a little icon on my uh, on my uh, computer desktop called why <clears throat> and it wasn't about why write the book it was because why was the essential idea behind the book oh, or behind okay. my concept of acting is why do you do what you do and once you have 
once you really know why you do what you do and want to do what you do, you'll do it. You'll do it really well. You'll remember your lines. You'll do the actions. You'll come alive. Um, but if you're still doing it because the director said or the writer wrote it and you memorized it, blah, 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 you're apt to be flat. And, and that was kind of a central idea. Interesting, interesting. Because I think a lot of times uh, actors rely on their training and they'll go in there with they're, they're thinking of just their training as opposed to what you just said about, but why? <laughs> you know, exactly. You're really supposed to kind of forget that training once you really start getting, uh, especially if they're very into like a Meisner or, or, or Strasberg or they study with something that gets really, really deep and heavy. You know? Yeah, exactly. yeah no, it's true. And I think it can, it can distract and, and, huh? and uh, lead you down alleyways. That where I disagree with uh, in in my approach anyway with with Meisner or with um, uh, the other one will come back to me in a minute um, is is they want you to memorize the lines before you start to work um, right and that's the absolute opposite of what I think you should do really so, and I have three don'ts in my book and one of the don'ts is don't learn your lines uh, mm -hmm. my producer friend Bob Goodwin read that. He said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you doing? <laughs> back it up, back it up. <laughs> so I had to qualify that. I didn't mean right. don't know your lines. I meant don't learn the lines. Oh. What you want to do is you want to figure out one way or another why you would want to say this this way at this time. Oh. And that's fun to do. That's fun to explore that. That's exploring the character memorizing the lines i will arise and go now and go now to innisfree comma in a small cabin build there a play and waddles you know just trying to memorize right. text is is boring it's i mean and i've seen actors just drive themselves crazy because this is what they have to do to get to the part they like and my answer is well you don't have to do that at all you can just start with the part you like which is studying the character and studying what you're doing and so so that's that's like the British technique because I'm an actor as well, and I studied with in, in New York with the British. She was trained in you know she was actually from America, but she studied in uh, in uh, in in Great Britain for many years, um, and she also was a teacher and she had a theater, and so she would always tell me you know the same kind of thing, the words, you're gonna pull an emotion out of the word. The, the writing has to be good. That's number one. The writing sucks, and you're gonna pull something that's not. And then you actually just, why are you saying these lines in the scene? What is, what are you supposed to get through this scene? What is the purpose that you're here right now at this moment? Then go and see what you're supposed to say first, but first get that. She was very, very emphatic about that. And just make sure that you're, you, you have a purpose to being in this scene. Yeah. 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 I mean, one of my favorite questions to an actor when I'm teaching or directing is why do you say that? And, you know, they'll always usually answer it by explaining why it's true, whatever it was, the line was. Say, yeah, 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 but yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of pictures on your wall, but you haven't said, oh, I have pictures on my wall today. <laughs> you didn't have to say that today, even though it was true. Why did you say this that was true? And it probably wasn't true because most things we say aren't true anyway. But <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're in the world of saying untruths yeah but going, but going back to uh the evolution of the book yeah um because the other thing i wanted to do was a kind of professional memoir 
of my life as a as an artist about acting mm -hmm. uh, whether it was as an actor or a director or an acting teacher but what was my what how did my life develop in that way my first my my, my first book is fun but it, it goes a lot more into some things I probably shouldn't have said at all about my personal life. So I wanted to keep it quite um, And uh, so I didn't know how to put this all together until I stumbled on Stephen King's book on writing, oh. which is in two parts, just as mine now is because I copied this idea from him. Uh, the first part is his memoir of his life as a writer and what he went through, how he and how he learned about writing, in his in his life, in his biography, if you like, and the second half is what he thinks he knows about writing, and, and it's a kind of masterclass on writing. And so my book is a, a a memoir of my life as a as an acting artist, and a masterclass on acting, basically. Wow! Wow! That's so cool. So when you're working with uh with a new Student, um, do you call them students? I don't know. Sometimes people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes you get to call them clients if they're more clients. good. If they're older, they're clients. <laughs> right. So when you're working with them, what's one of the first things that you actually are looking for in in their either their presentation or their monologues or or any conversations? There's different ways of of answering that. Um, I mean, I'm always looking for for them to be true. Uh, and what does that mean? That means it means they really want to say what they're saying, that they say it naturally. They don't play a tune on it. They don't act it. Uh, it's coming naturally from them. Um, one of the exercises I often start with is I just put a, a cup on a table, on a chair in the middle of the room, and I say, come in, pick it up, and leave. That sounds pretty simple, right? It's not. <laughs> they come in acting, here, I'm going to pick up my <laughs> leave. And then they put it back after the exercise is over, and it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> when, <they're done. laughs> when they don't think they're acting anymore, they're just, yeah. pushing, just finishing it. Um, and finding that kind of natural life is, is, yeah. a, is a key element. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you find that there are some people that just, you know, they'll come to you and they already have it and you just have to kind of fine tune what they have? Uh, yes, yes, you do find that. Um, it's, it's, um, people come at it different ways. You see, um, you know, you see sometimes what I call the good student syndrome. Mm -hmm. the, the people who were really good at school and they got really good marks and they really work well and they really and they figure it all out right. you know and and, and, then, and there's the bad student syndrome who were terrible at school and whatever and you come in and give them an acting thing and boom, they blow you away right, they, right. they do it um and somehow you have to marry those two qualities yes exactly the one who blew you away probably wouldn't blow you away if you gave him a, a fixed text that he had to keep to on a regular basis um, and he has to get some of what the good student could do, or the good student has to get some of what the bad student has. If mm -hmm. like, but, uh, I think there's talent. People are born with talent, but then there's the skill level that they have to develop. Yeah, yeah. and that's the part that if yeah, you don't, yeah, if you don't dive into the skill, then you're you're because there is it. This is a this is a technology 
in a sense. It is yeah. a science. It is something that's actually uh, can be quantified pretty easily when, especially like through your book and through, you know, other, other um, classes. And you can see that there is something there that everyone is kind of striving for. Um, what do you strive for when you're, when you and yourself, your own performances are, are going for? Well, I'm, 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 I'm going for why, mm -hmm. why, you know, I mean, that, at least that's, that's the preparation. I'm, uh, I'm working on a play now. We're doing a production in Vancouver. It's a, it's a small production of, of Harold Pinter's No Man's Land. Mm -hmm. nice. some of the most complex text that you can find yeah. uh, in Shakespeare. Um, and, and so how do I approach that? I mean, uh, finding out why I say all those things um, is, is what I have to do at this stage in the work. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, like how this will come out, I don't know. I mean, I look at some performances that other actors have done, like Ian McKellen done the same role, and I go, what? Is that what he thought this character was about? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where I'm going, but I don't know. We'll see where I go. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, there's a there's a comfort level. You'll know as an actor. There's a comfort level that you feel when it's really working. When you feel yeah. this is natural and it's happening, and you you're getting the right impulses and and whatever. Um, there's a terrible trap of habit. Uh, there, <clears throat> it's interesting. I mentioned in my book because. Um, a Facebook friend recently posted uh, was about seeing a uh, dress rehearsal or a preview of a production of a Chekhov play at the Manitoba Theatre Centre and being just blown away. They thought this was just amazing and had amazing actors in it. As it happens, I saw that play oh. three weeks later during its run. Oh, and wow. it was wow. totally boring. Wow. I interesting and and so the first question is well perhaps i'm a philistine and i just couldn't see it or the second question is she was just this other person was just so impressed because of the names of the actors but mm. in retrospect i think we were both right mm -hmm. i think in the preview it was fresh they were having the impulses they were playing off each other and by the time i saw it it was in habit form into another part of the actor's brain right you know, and and it becomes on automatic and yeah. that if it's a really plot driven play you can get away with it because the plot will carry you but right. in Chekhov, which is so much character and, and human interaction it just dies yeah and so it, but that's interesting because you're that is that one of the reasons why like you'll have a play that runs six months maybe maybe a year but they'll have to get new actors in to because they want to keep things <laughs> you know, especially yeah. on broadway because i mean you know you're doing eight shows a week i know when you yeah. get down to that eighth show and you got to go again the next day yeah you know um yeah it's really difficult is there someone i mean i guess the director would be the one that you have to constantly be there to not only tweak whatever needed to be tweaked from the last 10 shows but to kind of maybe say we need more energy during this 
section. Could you, could you just quote that? Could you write that down and send it out? <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because we're not allowed to do that anymore. What? In, really? In Canada, we are not allowed to do that. If we go back to see our production and it's whatever, and we have some notes, we have to give them to the stage manager. And the stage manager will give the notes to the actors. Good luck with that. Wow. We're not supposed to talk to them. Theoretically, we're not even supposed to say, good job, Joe, because that's directing them after the show's open and you're not working there anymore. Wow, so is that like a union thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly a union thing. It's exactly it's a union, a union thing. thing. Um, and I think it, I think it, it got out of hand. I don't know what it's like in the U.S., whether they have this problem or not, um, but it's certainly here in Canada right now. And, and I think the, the stage managing, management uh, section of the union was stronger than the director section of the union. And, wow. and I know the, there's an issue that, that there can be concerned with, which is that a director gives notes to the actors and maybe even changes a move or two and doesn't tell the stage manager, the stage manager doesn't know. Stage manager watches, watches the show the next night, and says, hey, you made a mistake here. You're not supposed to do that. They say, oh, well, well, William told me to do that. Well, I mean, you, you don't want well, that. Well, you could see, yeah, you don't want that, but that's also, the, that's what a management is when you have a, you know, have a meeting, I guess, before every show, just a quick little powwow. Yeah. Something or, to kind of get everyone on the give the notes to the actors, the stage right. manager is present at that right. Right. Everyone, right. Uh, yeah, or, or whatever. But CC everyone on the email. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's workable, but yeah, but yeah, that, that that I mean, exactly what you're saying. It, it's it's uh, I mean, I've always done what you're saying, you know, it's go back and see my shows and, and give notes and 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 things drift apart or things need to be brought together or new opportunities show themselves and you right. can make it even better. So. Right. I can imagine like approaching, you know, Brando and <laughs> they're, in, they're, in, uh, they're in his height and, uh, you know, trying to tell him how to direct. Did you ever have a, a really difficult actor that was, you know, I don't know, I don't know if Brando was difficult with. No, I don't think, I don't think. Yeah. Actually, um, um, yeah, I mean, you get, you, yeah, you get actors that that are are um, sensitive. <laughs> we could say. Um, so yeah, that that that. Yeah. But usually, if you have a good relationship, then they usually want to know what you think. You know. Yeah, you know, I spoke about this before about how theater today with the internet, you know, you can really have. You know, if you have that situation with the union and you have that kind of like the difficult, but you could really put a group together of, you know, and, and, you know, audition a nice group, start a company, get a little theater, and you can promote a lot of it online today, very, you know, for a lot cheaper than any other type of advertising. And I think that's the wonderful thing about theater where these big theaters have all these big unions and these big kind of things that you can actually see like off-Broadway shows in New York, which I've been to many, many times, you see some amazing shows. Yeah, off -Broadway. Yeah. As a matter of fact, off-Broadway off yeah, right. yes. incredible shows. Absolutely. You know, and they're friends that just did it. They rented the space, yeah. they sold their tickets, they promoted, and today with the internet, it's just, so theater and even film 
to some degree, film is a little bit more, you know, a little more expensive in some, in, in some ways, in some areas. But I think it's just a wonderful thing to really consider moving into the future. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Um, just really quick, I'm, you know, talking about writing, um, I know you got a chance to write one of the episodes of the X-Files, right? Uh, how was that process for you? And I, and I, I think I heard that they changed, you know, they kind of changed a whole bunch of stuff by the time it got to the... Uh... More union stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's a whole bunch of things in that. Um, I mean, I, you know, I was fairly naive about their process when mm -hmm. I suggested that I would like to write an episode. Um, and they didn't really fill me in as well as they might have right. um, about their process because they had this whole process where you board the sh the, the the script and and the the whole script department kind of meets and you m uh, ma map out the different uh, sections of the script and blah blah blah. blah. Um, I blithely thought you know a writer wrote a script and then you maybe worked on it after that. Right. So anyway, I wrote this script. Um, it's a pretty funny script, but uh, nobody's ever seen it except, um, ex except uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, come back to me with the, uh, the dramaturge at the time. Um, and he really enjoyed reading it, but said, nope, that's not it. <laughs> they didn't like my, my script that involved a, a cigarette smoking man teaching Scully how to water ski. Um, <laughs> Was that Chris Carter? <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, um, uh, but some of the essential ideas was were still there. And then we did do this board thing. Uh, and then I went away and wrote another draft. And then we kind of worked on that. And then finally, Chris wrote another draft. Right. Um, and then something emerged <laughs> that that, that, that um, that certainly some of what we wanted to say and some of what we wanted yeah. to do. Okay. And I think when you're writing for television, because remember we're we're living in a different world, right? Where you can just stream everything all the way through. You know, you had to have to write in in different acts. You know, the first act, and then you got a commercial break, and then you come back. I right. I, I remember you know shows like uh, Law and Order in New York when I was in New York, and and those type of shows they were very they had to have this first act be this long so because there was they knew there was going to be a break and then they had to be yeah. this act and then the closing act absolutely um, yeah right and today that's sort of like not there anymore it's kind of free now it's it's a yeah it feels yeah. Like it's a lot a lot easier yeah yeah that's cool yeah this is a this has been we're at, we're at 50 minutes wow <laughs> we're almost at an hour <laughs> oh my god uh, this has been such a great honor to have you on here um so much i mean i feel like we could just just have a, a normal yeah. weekly a weekly show doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is great uh so i, I just want to actually show your website where people can actually get your uh get the book i'll just have it flashing there and it's uh, also available on amazon and really yeah. any other retailer but absolutely but yeah, yeah. And this is what it looks like sorry didn't, didn't mean to cut you out to, to block your face there with your own book <laughs> <laughs> So before we let you go, um, I just want to, you know, we usually ask our uh, um, our guests during the last couple of years, we've had a little bit of an interesting time. A lot of artists were trying to figure out what they were going to do ne next. Some people made some big career choices. 
Um, I moved to Nashville with my family. That was my big, my big thing to move over here. Um, and you know, what do you have some, um, advice, some words of wisdom for some younger or not younger, you know, me, I'm not young, you know, just actors or performers for the next, uh, couple of, you know, um, years that are of, of performing. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, I mean, as you know, the, uh, the pandemic has been a problem and it's been especially a problem in it in for small work mm -hmm. you know, whether it's theater or a small film like the the big productions here they they haven't stopped mm -hmm. um, they just got they could afford to test everybody every day practically every day right. uh, and so they could keep going but but uh the smaller smaller productions whether it's theater or or film couldn't do that yeah uh, but hopefully we're through the worst of that. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I think, well, I, I mean, I love what you talked about, about, you know, just friends getting together and putting together something and getting it on. I've seen yeah. some really nice work here doing that too. And, and, you know, one of the things you say to someone who wants to be an actor, well, actually you could phrase the question differently. Do you want to be an actor or do you want to act? Um, uh -huh. I mean, be an actor kind of suggests, you know, you're going to go to the Oscars and you're going to do all the actor things. Right, right, right. right. Suggests you're actually going to do the work, right. uh, which is what you want to do. If you really want to do the work, go for it. Uh, maybe you'll do it and you'll win an Oscar. Maybe you'll do all that. Maybe you'll do community theater. Maybe, but you can do the work. You can act if you want to act. Um, uh, so keep your keep your uh, motivation or your goals clear for yourself no. uh, to want to be famous is a, is a deadly i think and a lot of people want to be famous and yeah but i guess there's ways to do that but um if you want to be an actor if you want to join us in what we think of as an artistic pursuit uh, yeah. by all means join us but yeah don't necessarily don't even don't even expect to be famous i mean uh I became famous, but by accident, really. I was 53 before I started on the X-Files. You wow. had heard of me before that. Well, people in Toronto had. People right, right, right. had that. I was working. Right. But, uh, I wasn't famous. Yeah. But I, th I think they, par part of it's coming like what you were talking about as far as, um, you know, learning lines and that type of thing. And why are you... You know learning those lines why you know and you why, that exactly. why so the same thing could be said for the artist why do you want to become an actor what exactly. what is it is it because you want that fame or is it because you really love the craft and you'll just do it even if you're not making a ton of money right yeah right. absolutely yeah and i think as i heard dustin hoffman say once at the uh the, the acting center uh interview where he said he'd be doing it right now no matter what happened you know he said and then he quoted i think it was picasso who said you know, if you take away by my paints, you know, I'll use my pastels. If you take away those, <laughs> he said, I, if you take over everything, I would spit on my finger and I would wow. on the wall yeah. with my, my own saliva because I have to do it. And he said the same thing, Dustin Hoffman, and he would still be doing it. You know, if he didn't get that break, you know, he was doing a car commercial and then he gets, you know, Miss, uh, uh, Mrs. Robinson. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah the like, graduate. Yeah. The graduate, yeah. The graduate, like literally right afterwards, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it was just just the way it happens, you know. But yeah. those are wonderful words. Uh, I want to thank you for your time and uh, for all your wisdom. I hope you please come back and 
and tell us, you know, give us more, <laughs> more. This has been, it's been a, just a ton of fun. So oh, thank uh, you so much. Come back anytime. I love it. Appreciate I, it. I, thank you. So, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. All right. We'll be right back with you. Wow. That was awesome. See, what I mean, effect. that's the kind of thing that I want to be able to just talk to like for like two or three hours, <laughs> that kind of conversation. Maybe we need to extend the show. <laughs> I think so, you know, uh, but who's going to stay with us for two hours? I know, exactly. You exactly. have to bribe them. But uh, all right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate it. Uh, William B. Davis, that was awesome. Don't forget, check out his book right there on acting and life. And uh, I'm definitely uh, getting my copy and uh, I'm going to get it today. I'm going to order it right as soon as I get off of here. Uh, but I want to thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you all again next week. Same time, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Counterparts. George Batista, John Henry Soto. Have a wonderful evening. And as always, peace. peace.